0: Aiton 77, director of Sorrow University, thrust out a belligerent lower lip and glared at the young newspaper man in a hot fury. Feromon 762 took that fury in his stride. In his earlier days, when his now widely syndicated column was only a mad idea in a cub reporter's mind, he had specialized in impossible interviews. It had cost him bruises, black eyes, and broken bones, but it had given him an ample supply of coolness and self-confidence. So he lowered the outthrust hand that had been so pointedly ignored, and calmly waited for the aged director to get over the worst. Astronomers were queer ducks anyway, and if Aiton's actions over the last two months meant anything, this same Aiton was the queer duckiest of the lot. Welcome
1: to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I am Chad 78. And
2: I am Chris 329, and we are here at HPPodcraft.com.
1: You know, I'm not sure if the numbers after these character names mean that that many people have had the name before, or if they denote some kind of status. Yeah. But either way, I'm kind of mad that you just made yours higher than mine.
2: (laughs) Zing! (laughs) What did we just hear there? (laughs) That was the opening of Isaac Asimov's Nightfall, a short story picked by listener Dave Mackin. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that right.
1: You know what? It doesn't matter how you pronounce it because I call him Dave Infinity. He's better than either of us. A wonderful human being because he donated for our trip to Providence last year and also because he chose Isaac Asimov for us to cover. We've never done this author on the show before and I've always wanted to read more of his work.
2: Uh, We're also joined once again by our reader who's not just a reader. He is a loved individual. He is a god on earth. Can I say that? You can say that. I'm saying it. He's a god on earth. (laughs) One of the minds behind the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society... Andrew Lehman.
1: That's right. And once again, if you visit the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society at CthulhuLives.org, they are currently raffling off original props from their various movies, and all the proceeds are going to hurricane relief in Puerto Rico. Hurricane Maria hit back in September of last year, and people are still without water, power, communications including some listeners of our show. Look, the tickets are $2. Everyone you buy helps out with the relief efforts.
2: And this week, they're giving away the last remaining nickel-plated LaGrasse Cthulhu Idol. This is a replica of the Art Deco Cthulhu model, which appeared in the Call Cthulhu motion picture, sculpted by Brian Moore. There were only a few of these, and this is the last one.
1: So jump in, see if you can snatch it up.
2: A little background on the story. It was written in 1941 and first published in the September issue of that same year of astounding science fiction under the editorial power of guess who john w campbell asimov was still a student at columbia university and campbell had an emerson quote that he was into it goes if the stars should appear one night in a thousand years how would men believe and adore and preserve for many generations the remembrance of the city of god
1: That is from Emerson's essay, Nature, right there in the opening paragraph. He's extolling the beauty of the stars and saying that if they only came out once every thousand years, mankind would always keep seeing them as a wonderful memory, as a sort of glimpse into heaven.
2: Now, Campbell, he had a different idea on what would happen if there was such a scenario.
1: (laughs) Right. And I guess to say what his opinion was would spoil the story a bit, so we'll hold off on that.
2: So Nightfall has appeared in over 48 anthologies. And in 1968, it won the Science Fiction Writers of America Award for Best Short Story, written before 1965. And it's in the Sci-Fi Hall of Fame, volume number one.
1: The story was actually expanded into a novel in 1990 Mm -hmm. with author Robert Silverberg. And this wasn't a Durleth situation. It was done with Asimov's permission. Essentially, Silverberg wrote a detailed beginning and ending to it, fleshing the world and the characters out. Asimov wrote in his autobiography, eventually I received the extended Nightfall manuscript from Bob Silverberg. Bob did a wonderful job, and I could almost believe I had written the whole thing myself. He remained absolutely faithful to the original story, and I had very little to argue with. Oh, wow. So we're covering the original story, though, not that book. Yes. But if you like this, you may want to pick it up. The publication of this story in 41 was a big deal for Asimov. It propelled him to the top tier of science fiction writers because of its unique premise. It was very popular.
2: There's more background to this story, but I figured we should get cranked.
1: Sure, we're going to spend two episodes on this one. So maybe next time we can get into some of Asimov's biography, since we haven't talked about it before. But for now, let the night fall. <laughs> that sounded cool, right?
2: Yeah, I felt like we should have a saxophone kind of rip in there.
1: Oh, I can do that. Yeah. yeah pretty good, huh? Uh-huh. Let the night fall. Mm. <laughs> okay, let's go.
2: The story is set on the planet Lagash, which is different than most because it has six suns. Six of them. Six. So it really has never, ever known nighttime.
1: And as the story goes along, we we see how a culture develops when there's nothing but light all the time. And I probably still have Bradbury on the brain from last week. But right away, this premise reminded me of his story All Summer in a Day, which is about a planet where it rains all the time. And the sun only comes out for one hour every seven years. So much fiction springs from a simple what-if question like this. What if it were light all the time or it rained all the time? Mm. And, you know, in most of the weird fiction we cover, the question is simply, what if ghosts are real, you know, or (laughs) or what if a monster lets you take its picture? Which I love and I ponder daily, but uh, it's refreshing (laughs) to cover science fiction because the what-if questions cover so much more ground.
2: Uh, We start off at an observatory. A journalist, Theremin762... (laughs) 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 is trying to get an interview with Aton77, this old scientist guy.
1: It's hard to pinpoint just how advanced the civilization is. Print newspapers are clearly thriving. Mm-hmm. They've got cameras and universities and buildings and everything. So I, I feel like it's the 1940s when this was written, but because of the suns, certain things are more primitive. They haven't developed artificial light, I think. Yeah, Just because they haven't needed to, it's never dark.
2: At first, Eitan is going to kick Theremin out, saying that he's a, a bit of a hack, but then he reconsiders.
1: He's personally hurt by some of the things the journalist has written in recent months ramping up to today's events. It seems like in the papers he's been making Fun of the work they're doing at the observatory and even calling some people out by name. so I guess he's writing things like aton seventy seven more like aton seventy two that's getting in their craw uh, but it seems like after his initial bluster, Aton wants to prove a point to Theramon so he says. All right, I'll give you your story.
2: Eitan points out that of six of their sons, only Beta is showing in the sky right now.
1: Which is fairly obvious. The whole planet is covered in a ruddy light that clearly is already different than what they're used to. But this orangish-red cast over everything makes the scene kind of sinister.
2: Alpha is their main sun, the one that they orbit, and it's on the opposite side of the planet.
1: As are the other suns, uh, and Gamma, the brightest sun, has just set, so is the only one out there. I understand the desperation. This is like one time I ordered a six-pack of beer from Pink Dot right before they closed, <laughs> and I opened the bag after the delivery guy left, and there was only one rolling rock in there. Just empty <laughs> slots where the rest of the beers should be. Can you imagine? No. So I connect with this a little bit. Wow, that
2: is horrific. Mm-hmm. Aton tells them, print this headline. In just under four hours, civilization as we know it comes to an end. It will do so because, as you see, Beta is the only sun in the sky.
1: But if it turns out that four hours pass, and another four, and nothing happens, asks Theremin softly. So this is the central conflict. Are they are they doomed or not?
2: This kind of meek scientist guy comes up, nay 25 really is pushing for Aton to do this interview. Mm-hmm. Therman says, look, do this interview with me and I'll be nice to you. Even if you're wrong about this whole prediction, I'll try and soften it up.
1: And if he's right about his prediction, it doesn't really matter because the article will never get printed anyway.
2: Aton is skeptical, but he says that he'll give him five minutes. Thurman says that people don't believe in the end of the world or the book of Revelations anymore. And to have scientists say that it's all true, I mean... That's annoying. And Eitan says that the cult that believes in the end of the world may have given him some of this information, but it was the scientists' data and the research that got them to this conclusion. No mumbo jumbo here. In fact, the cultists are angry at them for demystifying the whole thing.
1: And cult is with a capital C. I think it's a larger religion that's maybe waning, not just some small Branch Davidian type group.
2: Thermin says that since they've made their predictions, the stock markets have gone down. And if their predictions don't come true, then the money people are going to point fingers at the scientists and say that there's going to be some hell to pay because your predictions made all the stocks go bad. And so they're really going to get it from everybody. Mm -hmm. And Thermin proposes to make them look silly, even laughable in the press, so that people feel sorry for them and not angry. And b says it's a million to one that we're wrong, but... If we're wrong, why not have our bases covered? So begrudgingly, a ton of grace.
1: I like this theory of saving yourself through ridicule.
2: Story of my life.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to, well, I'm putting off being the subject of a roast until I've really angered the public, you know. <laughs> when that happens, we'll do it because people will be like, look, I don't think Chad should have burned down that orphanage either. But what Jenny McCarthy said about him was really below the belt. <laughs> That was unnecessary. And then I'm redeemed. He actually says, it would be hard to stand, I admit, because I'd have to make all of you out to be a bunch of gibbering idiots. But if I can get people laughing at you, they might forget to be angry. Uh, Which I don't know about that. I can still think somebody's a gibbering idiot and be angry with them. Oh, yeah.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. So just then, a fellow with fat cheeks and a high voice glides in like he owns the place. And he is Sheeran. 501.
1: He likes wearing those 501 jeans.
2: Mm-mm, 501 blues. <laughs>
1: Remember those? I do. <laughs> got me a case of
2: Sheri comments that he wants to see the stars that the cultists were talking about. And that he's tired of the hideout.
1: This hideout he references is clearly somewhere people have gone to survive the possible end of the world. Kind of like the real hideout here on Earth that all the cool people have been invited to in case things go nuclear. You know what I'm talking about.
2: Oh, yeah, I know. I got my invitation four years ago.
1: Oh, yeah, me too. Are we not yeah. supposed to talk about that? Uh, I'm sure if you listen to the show, you got one. Oh cool. of course, yeah.
2: yeah if you listen to the show, you're you're totally going to the hideout. Yeah.
1: We might need to edit that out.
2: Sheeran says that they don't need him at the hideout. They need strong men and childbearing women, and he's just a fat guy, so he wants to see some so he wants to see where the action is.
1: Sheeran practices radical self acceptance. I like him. <laughs>
2: They've built a bunker for 300 people, the university's finest and their families to weather the end times and preserve their civilization. Aton mentions that they won't have what info they've gathered today because they're already all sealed up
1: right but they that they've got all the other info that the scholars have collected as well as food, water, weapons it says they're supposed to hide where the darkness and the uh, stars can't get at them and then hold out if they can. It won't be easy. With all of mankind insane, with the great cities going up in flames, environment will not be conducive to survival. So the nature of this apocalypse comes into sharper focus here. They don't believe that the stars are going to kill them or, you know, that a comet is coming to sweep them all away or anything like that. They just believe that when the darkness falls and the stars come out, people will go crazy and burn the world down. People will do this. Yeah. If they'd seen 30 days a night, they'd be worried about some other things, too. But that doesn't really come (laughs) in
2: to the story at all to wait things out they get a multi chess board for a six player game and they just kind of rock out their chess club antics
1: <laughs> well if you know that the end of the world if you know that the end of the world is coming what do you do with your time i think you and i had a conversation about this when we were teenagers and you told me you would just go to sleep you would take a nap <laughs> i couldn't believe it you're like look i love napping that's what i would do <laughs>
2: I I do I did love napping I don't I don't really nap anymore What would yeah. I do What do you mean like an like an hour and a half basically What these folks have Yeah Of course I want to say something silly just to be entertaining mm-hmm. But of course it'd be just hanging out with my wife and my kids and Well
1: Look Hey There Was That Recent Missile Scare in Hawaii That Was Just Last Month
2: Oh God Yeah And
1: People Were Having Breakfast in the Early Morning When This Alert Came Across Their Phones That Said Ballistic Missile Threat Inbound to Hawaii seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Thank God it was a mistake, but it took 38 minutes for them to get the word out that it was a mistake. Hey, somebody just hit the wrong button on the computer. If you read the accounts of what happened, they're really harrowing. You know, people were in the streets crying and screaming and trying to get to their families and thinking, I'm not going to make it. Folks were climbing under their bathtubs, desperately writing notes to family. And some people actually just, what I thought was interesting is some people threw up their hands. You know what? I can't do anything about this. I'm just going to go about my business and see what happens. Because, you know, if I die, I die. (laughs) Yeah. So reactions were all over the place. But it it seems like these were things that were pretty common to consider in the Cold War era, you know, when we grew up. Sure. And earlier, but but now it seems... Like that kind of apocalyptic paranoia is kind of on the rise again in, in the world. Yeah, You know, what do I do if the world is ending today? If you like chess, if you like a six-man chess game, I see <laughs> that seems as good as anything to do. So, you know, that's what these scientists are up to.
2: Shirin seems keen on chatting with Theremin and Eitan. So they go off to a side room while everybody else is playing chess. And Theremin wants to know, You say there's going to be a worldwide darkness in a few hours and that mankind will go violently insane. What I want now is the science behind it. And Sheeran says, you don't want him to answer that question about Aton. You'll just get a bunch of math. You want the layman's answer, and that I can give you. So Sheeran wants to have a drink before he breaks it down, but Aton chastises him
1: for drinking on today of all days. He needs to be sharp. Besides, Pink Dot just keeps delivering only one beer. <laughs> don't waste it
2: pink dot do people even remember what pink dot is anymore (laughs) it's
1: still around i think is it yeah i I think think so No, it's a like grocery liquor delivery service if people don't know
2: shiren tells therman that lagash is cyclic that in the last hundred years they had discovered nine previous civilizations uh, with evidence to suggest more than the nine and all of these seem to have been destroyed by fire at the height of their culture
1: and no one could tell why All centers of culture were thoroughly gutted by fire with nothing left behind to give a hint as to the cause.
2: And there are a number of crazy theories about this. Uh, One stating that Lagash goes into a sun... Cultists suggest that every 2050 years, the whole planet goes into a cave.
1: Yeah, and not the people on the planet, like the whole planet passes through some outer space cave. Because caves seem to be the only understanding this civilization has of total darkness. It's the only Mm -hmm. place that they've actually ever experienced it.
2: And in this cave are stars, and the stars take men's souls and leave them as mindless, insane brutes, and they destroy their own civilizations.
1: This is laid out in the cult's Book of Revelations.
2: But what the scientists have come up with is the theory of universal gravitation. And just then, Eitan leaves to go find two of his men that haven't shown up yet. And now that he's gone, Sheeran takes out a hidden bottle of booze so they can have a drink.
1: Mm -hmm. He's got the one beer.
2: (laughs) Sheeran tells him what it is. He goes, the law of universal gravitation states that there exists a cohesive force among all bodies of the universe such that the amount of the force between any two given bodies is proportional to the product of their masses divided by the square of the distance between them. Okay. And Thurman isn't impressed by this. He goes, you know, it's quite basic science stuff. I know this. But Sheeran tells him that this took hundreds of years for their people to figure out. He said, uh, Genovi 41 discovered that Lagash rotated about the sun alpha rather than vice versa. And that was 400 years ago. Uh, The complex motions of the six suns were recorded and analyzed and unwoven. Theory after theory was advanced and checked and counterchecked and modified and abandoned and revived and converted converted to something else. It was a devil of a job. So 20 years ago, they got all the math sorted out for the six suns, and that that was a big deal. Mm -hmm. But in the last 10 years, they realized there was something off with the math. They got something wrong.
1: Yeah, Lagash has been orbiting in a way that their universal law can't account for.
2: That's when the head of the cult, Soar 5... (laughs) (laughs) came to them with his doomsday theories and gave Eitan the idea to look for something else. Uh So Eitan started thinking, what if there was another body out there, like a planet or a moon? A moon with maybe a bluish surface that wouldn't be seen from all the light of the other suns. Well, if this was the case, could it be that this unseen moon might get in the way of a sun? Conceivably, what if that happens that that moon gets in between the one sun that's actually shining light beta the eclipse that results with the moon seven times the apparent diameter of beta covers all of lagash and lasts well over half a day so that no spot on the planet escapes the effect that eclipse comes once every 2049 years
1: so it seems like they've got this pretty well figured out it's an eclipse but i guess people out there don't believe what the scientists are saying
2: so sheeran says that the eclipse will happen in 45 minutes, then the darkness, then the stars, then the madness. But with the hideout, the next iteration of humanity will be ready for it. They will be forearmed, a cycle that begins with no knowledge lost. Mm. Theremin wonders, what is there in the darkness that drives people mad? There are caves, but people on this planet are very frightened of them. And Shirin thinks that the darkness is so mind-blowing, it will freak people out.
1: It's really interesting that these scientists have a pretty decent understanding of what's going to happen and why it's going to happen, but they aren't ruling out that they are going to be just as susceptible as the general public to this madness that might occur. Mm -hmm. And and I found that to be an interesting theme or or undercurrent here, that knowledge is power, but it's limited power. Mm -hmm. Like, I keep years and years of my planners and, and calendars... And recently I was, I was going through them mm-hmm. and I noticed some patterns like, oh, these certain months I always fall into a sort of depression, seem to have difficulties just muddling through. It's like this time and this time and it happens every year. So knowing that, I think, oh, I can kind of prepare for that, which is good. But it still happens. Yeah. And that's so frustrating because one would think once I understand a problem, it, it should set me free from that problem. But it doesn't. No. And I think that's kind of cool that that's happening here. Yeah. And Theremin doesn't really get it at this point. So it'll get dark. Okay. What's the big deal? So Sheeran
2: dares him to draw the curtains. Normally, they would just reduce the light in the room, but with it just being the beta sun, it should get really, really dark. Mm-hmm. So Theremin does it, and it's totally pitch black, and he feels his way to the couch, and he sits with Sheeran. Mm-hmm. So Sheeran then puts his hand on his knee.
1: <laughs> they haven't been in enough darkness for, to ever <laughs> learn how those hijinks work. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So Theremin doesn't like
2: it. He feels the walls are closing in on him. But he's not going mad. So Sharon tells him to draw the curtains back again. And Sharon is like, that was just a room. Think about the whole world. And still, Thurman's not convinced. He's like, yeah, I mean, it made me uncomfortable, but I'm not like a raving lunatic. I don't understand what you're talking about. So Sharon brings up this exposition that happened a couple years ago. And there was a ride called Tunnel of Darkness. I think you can figure out what it is. It was yeah. a tunnel that was dark. <laughs> for 15 minutes, you would go in this dark tunnel, totally
0: dark. People liked it. It was very popular.
1: I liked his explanation for the popularity.
0: There's a fascination in being frightened when it's part of a game. A baby is born with three instinctive fears of loud noises, of falling, and of the absence of light. That's why it's considered so funny to jump at someone and shout boo. Boo. That's why it's such fun to ride a roller coaster, and that's why that tunnel of mystery started cleaning up. People came out of that darkness shaking, breathless, half-dead with fear, but they kept on paying to get in.
2: Thurman remembers that there were rumors that some people died on this ride. Insurance said, oh, sure, yeah, they, there were. the two people. After that, they made people take wellness tests before doing the ride, and that made people even more excited about it. Increased the ticket sales.
1: I love this increased popularity. It reminds me of that gimmick the filmmaker William Castle used to use. Exactly, Like, when you'd yes. go to one of his horror movies, they'd hand out $1,000 Lloyds of London insurance policies to customers <laughs> in case they died of fright. <laughs> Which I still think is a great gimmick. You know, these days it's pretty hard to get people in the theater and it seems like the only thing studios try is to print every movie in 3D yeah, as if that's going to solve it but they should be using the William Castle stuff insurance oh, policies, yeah, sure. a nurse on hand in case you faint, deliver electric shocks to people in their seats Yeah, a lot of horror movies I wait for home release to watch them but if I knew a guy in a giant tarantula costume was going to jump out at me I would catch it in the theater <laughs> absolutely that's just a note for all you producers out there anyway this ride, the tunnel of darkness it, it genuinely has an effect on people
2: Some people come out of the ride and they seem okay, but then they wouldn't go inside of any place. Uh, They would just stay outside all of the time. And they try to force them inside, but they would, like, smash their heads against walls. If they couldn't get out, they had to be either put in straitjackets or tranquilized. And he said one in ten people came out this way, so they closed the exhibit. It's like, one in ten? Yeah. How did it go on for so long?
1: I don't know. (laughs) Well, it's, the thing is, I guess, that these were lingering effects. You know, they weren't quite correlating them at first. Yeah. Oh, it was the ride that's making them go crazy.
2: It says that uh, the people of the tunnel had what is called claustrophobic fixation. Their latent fear of darkness and enclosed places had crystallized and become active. And, as far as we can tell, permanent. That's what 15 minutes in the dark will do. Mm. So Theremin is still not convinced, but Sheeran says, look, you got Surly in a few minutes. These people went nuts in 15 minutes, but what about hours? Look outside now, think about all that, just blackness, nothing but darkness. And Theremin is still like, eh. <laughs> Sheeran starts getting really angry at him that he's
0: not buying it. And he kind of starts yelling at him, getting into space. Sheeran slammed his fist down upon the table in sudden passion. You lie, you can't conceive that. Your brain wasn't built for the conception any more than it was built for the conception of infinity or of eternity. You can only talk about it. A fraction of the reality upsets you. And when the real thing comes, your brain is going to be presented with a phenomenon outside its limits of comprehension. You will go mad completely and permanently. There is no question of it.
1: This is why Dave Infinity did a great job selecting this story, because we're talking about fear of the dark, fear of the unknown, and the idea that your mind can be blown when it confronts things outside of its experience mm. all very Lovecraftian concepts that we deal with a lot it holds you can read in your Necronomicon about Yogg-Sothoth all day but you run into him at a bowling alley whole different story <laughs> <laughs> what am I seeing you go nuts start smashing your head into a wall so Thurman says okay
2: people go nuts but why burn everything down to which Sheeran says light fire makes light and Thurman seems to kind of not get that at first, which I guess makes sense because if you've only seen fire in light you wouldn't really notice that it throws off much light. Yeah, isn't that odd? But when the darkness comes, Shirin says that they will just burn everything and anything to make light. Theremin is just not getting into it, so Shirin is getting more and more angry at him and he starts shouting louder and he just, he's getting so angry, he's like in his face and he just is, he realizes he's freaking out and so he stops himself. And then they go back and join the others.
1: Well, Thurman's just being a good journalist and saying, I can't print your speculation, I think, you know. Yeah. We don't know if this is going to happen or not. So he's doing his best to keep things factual. But that's the end of their interview for now. And it sets up all the concepts we need to, to see how this plays out in the story. Mm-hmm. The clips is just about to happen. Will people go crazy? Well, nothing happened at all. Probably a good place to take a break in the synopsis of the story. Mm-hmm. We can finish this up next week. But some things in the story, they seem a little far-fetched, I have to admit. that, that They they have some things like, they have cameras in here at one point they talk about. Mm-hmm. They, they have these newspapers, but they haven't invented electric light? They don't, like, inside the buildings when they? Yeah. I I realize it's so bright, but if you had a basement in a building or anything like that where the sun didn't penetrate.
2: Since they've got a phobia of darkness, maybe they just wouldn't, they wouldn't build houses that would require light. Every house has got windows, and there's no room within a house that doesn't have windows, so they keep, you know, houses aren't very deep or structures. I guess that's
1: just how their civilization works. Yeah. I think that's gotta be what it is, and we just have to accept that. There are a lot of parallels with the real world, though, already that I see in here. For example, the Book of Revelations is what the cult has. And that's, you know, a real thing. That's a part of a dominant religion mm-hmm. that predicts the apocalypse. Christianity is in its way a, a doomsday cult. I mean, that is the, the last book of the New Testament. Right. There are various offshoots that take that more seriously than maybe mainstream religion does. Sure. Yeah. And also cults that come up with all sorts of reasons why they think the world is coming to an end with sometimes really unfortunate circumstances. Right. Like the Heaven's Gate cult. Yep. That was just in 97. It wasn't that long ago. 39 members of that group committed suicide because of the appearance of the Haley-Bopp comet. And I think they thought there was a spaceship that was with it that would pick them up if they died. I think I was making fun of it a lot when it happened because the goofball leader they had. But do you remember when you and I went to the Museum of Death in San Diego? Oh, yeah. They had a room in there that had a bunk bed and the clothes and the shoes of one of the members. They were actually theirs. And it was all laid out how... They did it. When I saw that, it really struck me, While well, these were just kind of a bunch of confused, real people yeah. that got indoctrinated into this craziness and, and ended their lives. And I stopped making fun of it after that. You know, it's really sad. Yeah, That one's not great, but I do enjoy it when some huckster... You know, makes a name for him or herself by predicting the end of the world, and then has to backpedal when it doesn't happen. I mean, that happens yes. a lot,
0: you know. That happens a lot.
1: Yeah, every year the person's followers get all mad, and they have to make stuff up. Like, oh, I read the wrong sign. It's actually next year on September because of a, <laughs> the number thirty-three. You know, there's always a numerology aspect to it. Or oh something. yeah, sure, sure. But I think that's addressed in the story with Thiruman saying, "You guys are going to need my help because you're saying the world's going to end." A lot of people just blew their savings on crazy things because they thought you were right. And when the sun comes up again tomorrow, and there's the guy stuck with two pet ocelots and a gold tiara. He's coming for you. So you need me to make fun of you in the paper. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. It's funny
2: that you bring up that these people backpedal because a lot of times with those religious groups or those cults, the people just accept it. Like even if they're wrong, which kind of shows right. you how deep they are within the cult. Whereas the the leader says, oh, you know what? I made a mistake. It's this. And they go, oh, okay. That's why this didn't happen. You just made a math problem. Not, oh, you're full of crap.
1: No, that's true. It seems like more often people just go along with it than they get upset about it. Although I imagine if you did give away your life savings and then suddenly, you know, the world was supposed to end on Monday and on Tuesday, you're completely broke. Yeah. Those are usually the people that get really (laughs) mad.
2: But I think that's something with a lot of people's beliefs where the faith is so strong that even when evidence is apparent, mm-hmm. that you will block out that evidence to support your faith. You know, if it's faith in this cult or religion or in a yeah. particular a brand, you know, or a celebrity or anything, you know, like a lot of times people look up to somebody and they will look for any excuse, no matter what is presented truth-wise.
1: To exonerate that person from something. To exonerate right? that person, yeah. Yeah.
2: And I mean, I, I see it all the time and I sure. often wonder if I do it too.
1: Everybody does it on some certain level, I think. I mean, isn't that gambling? It's you don't want to look like a fool as part of it. It's in everybody's nature. What what they're talking about here? You know, I'm gonna to have to make you look like a fool. Oh, I don't want that to ha- happen. Mm-hmm. I'll stay in this as long as I can. So, like gambling, right? You start playing the game and you're losing, and you know you should get out, but you, you're convinced that no, I'm this deep in, I gotta keep going. You know, yeah. <laughs> I gotta get that money back, and I feel like you know I don't want to alienate any listeners, but I know people who have been in certain religions. There's a popular one out here in Hollywood. Sure. That it's that exact kind of thing because you're putting money into it. Mm-mm. And then when you start to go, oh, maybe this isn't what I thought it was. Well, I already made this huge investment in it. So yeah, I don't want to be the fool who lost that. So I better kind of keep going and hopefully there'll be some kind of result.
2: Right. Yeah. Just a word of warning, listeners. To try to use reason and logic as much as you can. Yeah. Protect yourself from... Trister is like Chad myself.
1: I know there's a lot of people who are like I'm giving him that $6.66 <laughs> on the promise that this is going to get good. <laughs> I mean so far. <laughs>
2: ugh. Well, yeah, so far I've given him, you know, uh, I can't
1: give up now.
2: I've given him 4 years
1: worth of money here and uh <laughs> I've been listening to these guys for a long time. I can't give up now, no matter what they tell me. <laughs> you know, what, one last thing I wanted to say about how great the story was in terms of a selection following the Foghorn. Sure. Totally accidental. I mean, I knew that we were going to throw some sci-fi stories together. Yeah. Uh, but these were all selected by listeners. What I think so cool is I love it when things fall together this way because thematically they're so similar. In the Foghorn, we have the natural world trying to interpret the meaning of something man has constructed and getting it wrong. Mm-hmm. And here we flip the theme and watch man try to interpret the natural world and get it wrong more or less. Oh, right, yeah, absolutely. I love it when these things just kind of happen accidentally. Well, we're going to get back to the the shocking conclusion of this story next week, Woo. and I hope you'll be there with us. Uh, we will have Andrew Lehman with us reading once uh. again. And uh, just want to say, hey, go over to CthulhuLives.org, pick up some of those raffle tickets. Maybe you'll win that LaGrasse Idol. There's a bunch of other stuff they're going to give away this month. Mm-hmm. It's a great cause to help the people of Puerto Rico. Please don't forget to check that out.
2: It's a great cause. And if you get that statue, it's one that I've held in my hand many times. It's outstanding. It's really cool.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and with that, I'm Chris Lackey.
1: I'm Chad Pfeiffer.
2: And you've been listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. <laughs>